The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen speaking peoples, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. If you've read my book, The Spirited Kitchen, or you've just been around my work for a while, you might know that I come from a long line of horse people, a lineage that wends its way from Southern Alberta and rodeo culture to the Scottish Highlands in the late 1800s, where my wayback people bred, trained, and worked Highland ponies for labor in the coal mines and to build railroads. So it's been a long and complicated relationship between my family and horses. And I am the first generation in as far back as we can see to not have horses in my life on an everyday basis. And that is a profound source of grief for me. What has also been a source of grief has been that many of the problems that I've supported my child through. And if you don't know, I have a 19 year old with autism and ADHD and mental health challenges, and now emergent physical disabilities that present, at least at this point, like fibromyalgia. The, the grief around that is though, is that um, though I do believe in the many treatment and support options we've tried and worked with over time. I think there's been some efficacy. The thing that seems to work best for my child is time outside the city with horses. Is really the only time my child can interact with another being for an extended period of time without becoming flooded or exhausted and then requiring basically three days of sleep and aftercare afterwards. But the style of equine therapy, like the skillfulness of the practitioner and the level of literacy they need to have about the nervous system and about interpersonal neurobiology and about secure attachment is very high. They have to have a very high level of knowledge and self-awareness for this type of treatment to be worthwhile for my child. My autistic child simply cannot be around someone dominating an animal in any way. It's just way too dysregulating for my child. And as I get older and as I get better at uncoupling from hierarchy and dominance and coercion myself, it gets harder for me to tolerate being around and anywhere around that kind of dominance too. So it's just not going to be therapeutic for me or my kid to be around horses if they're in an environment governed by dominance and coercion. And this is where my next guest comes in. I have known Alexa Linton for probably going on about probably like nine years now. And when I began to experience the limits of what conventional psychotherapy could offer my then younger child, uh, in terms of learning like self and co-regulation skills, I turned to Alexa and her two horses, Diva and Raven, for help. Alexa is an osteopathic practitioner for humans, um, maybe also for animals too. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a thing that happens. Anyway, Alexa is an osteopath and has 15 years of manual therapy and also energy work under her belt. So osteopathy, for folks who don't know, is a modality that uses manual manipulation. So like stretching, gentle pressure, some resistance that takes a really holistic approach to understand what's happening in the body, not only with like muscles and the skeleton, but also the nerves and the fascia and the ligaments and everything else. So it's gentle work with biomechanics, you might say. Alexa is also the co-instructor of a comprehensive equine cranial therapy certification. So cranial sacral therapy, if you don't know about that, that is also hands-on, but it's quite subtle pressure and the focus is more on the fascia 
like the connective tissues of the body. And the work generally happens at the head and the neck and along the spine. And yeah, it turns out you can do that with the horses. And she's also done additional work to support her human clients with traumatic brain injury. Alexa really is someone that I have witnessed continually learning and adapting her practice to fit with new understandings about interspecies relationships and trauma and healing and supremacy culture. And I just trusted her to be sensitive to what my child would need in order to feel safe around these big horses. So Raven and Diva are like their large cold blood breeds. I think Raven might be part Canadian horse and Diva is a Morgan Percheron cross. And they have very different personalities. And so usually when we've done sessions, my kiddo works with Diva, who's a very, let's say, energy conserving horse, like very chill to the point of not wanting to move a lot sometimes, that kind of vibe. And I work with Raven, who has a more kind of like spirited, kind of strong personality, like in the sense that she has a really clear sense of herself and her preferences. And I guess we just kind of get along in that way. <laughs> so for a long time, I've wanted to have Alexa on the show to talk about the evolving culture of horsemanship. And when she invited me to be a guest lecturer in her signature program, The Whole Horse Apprenticeship, it was very clear that this conversation was long overdue. And I'm so glad that she gave me the nudge. So without further ado, welcome Alexa. So Alexa, what identities do you lead with? Ah, so this is the question that kept me up last night. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I feel the reason why is because I am in a wee bit of an identity crisis at the moment. So I am a white, cis, straight woman, uh, and that's how I appear in the world. I went through a major illness last year, as you know, um, and it's changed everything for me. So I used to show up in the identity as horseback rider, for example, teacher, uh, doer, going concern, (laughs) (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. All those things. And uh, it's really shifted. I still lead with the identity always of, of horse lover. It's, it's one of those things that stays, has stayed present with me really for my whole life and, and continuing into now. Uh, the teacher identity, I, w- I will say right at this minute, um, cranial, equine cranial level two is happening and I am not there because I can't teach right now mm. with my current uh, energy levels and health. So that's been very sobering because that was something that was really a part of who I was, who I am in my world. And yeah, so so lately, I think a part of what I've been showing up as, which is really weird to say, is is human that has been recovering from a major illness mm-hmm. and is in that space and what that means as far as changes to my lifestyle and saying no and rearranging and and just being with what is possible uh, for my body, not my heart, not even necessarily my spirit, but my body mm-hmm. in every moment. Yeah, and that's uh, that's where where I am at this time uh and there's there's moments of joy in that obviously moments of a lot of moments of grief and a lot of moments of a lot of emotions uh with it yeah I can imagine it sounds like even the good things when you're when you're saying I have to see what is possible now given the capacity of my body I imagine even good things that might be happening, you probably have to modify, adapt, and kind of create new relationship around because when you're in recovery, even a good thing can overwhelm your body. You really can have too much of a good thing 
So thank you for sharing that. And I'm not going to push you too hard then I, on some, <laughs> I'm not going to try to keep you up after this, you know, late at night, because you obviously will need your rest. So let's start then with how, like your new perspective then on you as horse lover, you as person who has been in relationship with horses, and that is probably even now changing. So let's go to the beginning, what was it like for you when you first became a horse companion? Like, tell us about your first horse and that journey and how you came to be steward to your two horses, Raven and Diva. Yeah, so Diva is and was my first horse. So November first I think of this upcoming so in a couple of months is our 20 year anniversary wow yeah and yeah we met she was four uh I had previously to that been involved in horses and you know if any of your listeners are horse people they may relate I was sort of the classic uh hunter jumper barn uh very traditional horsemanship upbringing so that was just really what was available I, I grew up in Vancouver that was what was available in our area and uh I had a terrifying riding instructor uh and <laughs> looking back I think wow that was like in in balance like I loved horses so much that it sort of made up for like the traumatic part of of that but it was really like literally terrifying someone and screaming at you get at that horse over the jump and do it now and kick them and like oh that gosh. was just normal normal Whoa, that sounds really abusive how old it were was you really abusive uh it would have been probably 12 or 13 <gasps> oh. at the time <laughs> That makes yeah. me teary. Oh. Yeah. And this is from what I hear, because of course I work with a lot of sort of recovering horse people around this. This is pretty normal for a lot of people growing up in North American horsemanship. And when when I relate that story, it's like, oh yeah, I, that, I had that happen. Um, it was very sort of, I, I want to say that like, that there was almost like a military feel to it. So mm -hmm. every time you rode, it was like, these are the steps and you do them or else and you clean your saddle at the end of this ride or else. And, you know, it was very structured, you know, in terms of get it done. And I call it now, I've talked a lot about it, get it done horsemanship. It's just this, and it, and it is, it's abusive, it's violent when it comes, comes down to it. And it's still done a lot of places it's still normalized in a lot of places um it's one of the reasons that I do the work that I do because it had been so I mean we know and I think there's some question I know there's some questions on this coming up but there's this um very very strong parallels between riding and horsemanship white supremacy patriarchal culture it's built in to the structure from a young age that that your horse does what you say if they are not willing to be controlled then you punish them for it and you get what you need to get done done mm. how and did that go with your relationship with diva then it, i mean it like did not go it did not go <laughs> well it did not go well because i carried that in i mean i still have snippets of that come in because it's it's something it's like in my nervous system in my cells you know and I I work with that all the time you know that the shame around that and okay what do I need to do to actually find a place where I don't feel I need to escalate I don't have to go into those places that it it, it can be just what it is I'm getting so much better. I'm really proud of myself in that. And I think that with me, the horse industry, I would like to think is getting better 
There's more and more and more talk about this. There's more people sharing in important ways about it. And I'm so grateful. So going back to your question, when Diva came into my life, it was very messy. She was not understandably okay with what I was bringing to the table Mm -hmm. as far as our relationship was concerned and made that very clear. I regret a lot of the things that I've done in our relationship together. I think that, you know, we, I've done a lot of reparations and reconciliation, but there's only so much that you can do when, you know, the water's under the bridge. Um, and I know that it's landed in her nervous system in some, some ways that I, I, yeah, I feel sad about, um, regretful, very regretful about, right. Because I was, I brought her through systems of horsemanship that were about desensitization, which basically meant flooding, mm-hmm. right? It basically meant put so much on this horse that they shut down and collapse mm-hmm. and they don't react to it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Can you, for folks who don't know, you know, I, I know Diva, but can you share what kind of horse Diva is yeah. and what her spirit is like? Yeah, so Diva is a Pritchard Morgan Cross, from what I know. <laughs> she has a mysterious start. I don't know her birthday, so I would say it's May 1st, but I'm not sure. Um, I found her. We found each other when she was four through, you know, those beautiful synchronicities that happen. And she happened to be at a barn that I was riding at, and her owner just happened to be like you should ride diva today I I couldn't ride the other horse that I was riding and and that that was kind of it I fell pretty hard after that um it was very clear that we needed to be on this journey together even though there was a lot of challenge in it we started in Victoria I soon realized that the situation for her with small paddocks tiny stalls electric fencing all of that was just not okay for her and her system we moved then to Duncan uh to the Cowichan Valley in 2008 I think um that move was because of her I needed to have to find her friends I needed to find her forage I needed to find her things to do and spaces to move and run um I don't really think I, you know, I think most of you would would expect she changed overnight. She mm. went from wild-eyed, un, unworkable, uh, unrideable to a different horse. Mm. Um, it was, you. yeah, yeah. I Sorry. I did too. I I did too. I mean, I I look back and I'm like, oh, she, yeah. I, it it was for both of us that we came right. here right to the couch so aside Valley. from just like maturing as a as a as a person and kind of being like oh my horse needs more more space and can't be an urban um animal anymore like what happened in your own journey to be like hey <laughs> patriarchy hey white supremacy hey colonialism like oh hey this is showing up in my relationship with my horse and now what shall I do about it like tell us more about those parallels that you see and how you as a person came to understand that and found other ways to be with your horse yeah well there was this person named Carmen she was doing some really cool things in Victoria (laughs) (laughs) and I was following along going huh I mean I I will admit to you with you know oh yeah that feeling of oh that it wasn't for a while down the line until I made any of these connections because I was 
blissfully unaware of a lot of these things until, you know, I, I want to say, yeah, seven or eight years ago, I, this was when things started to drop in. I'd had a, a, my fair share of terrible boyfriends at this time. And I was, oh, this is what, you know, narcissism look. It, it, it kind of took me down a path of what is happening? Like, why is this happening? And then, you know, I traveled down the, the usual routes of empath narcissist relationships and, you know, went went down these these little little uh rabbit holes of trying to understand why I was choosing particular relationships that were so harmful to me so abusive and yet I kept being magnetized back what is happening and as that was happening I had the all these parallels going on with my horses it was it was yeah very strange so they were reacting and, you know, having outbursts and, and there was all these things going on. It eventually took me down this path of, of yeah, recognizing, oh my gosh, I'm, I am swimming in the soup. I am literally so within white supremacy that, and patriarchy that I can't even see it. You know, part of that was your work and starting to name things and and me going oh my gosh I th this is what's happening and as I started to see that I started to have more and more conversations around what was going on in the horse world and then, then of course because I'm straddling these two worlds I'm seeing oh wow this is what's happening you know the way I'm being treated in these relationships is the way I'm treating my horses or, you know, the way I've been treated in the world or the way I'm seeing, you know, women or people uh, being treated is exactly what's happening here. And that, that really started to open up this, this world for me, you know, and that's when I started, you know, the podcast is on six years now. I was like, I have to start having these conversations, start getting this out there into the world about what's going on with horses, you know and how it intersects with uh yeah patriarchy white supremacy racism all these pieces are in and amidst this this world that i've existed in for so long right so there's these cultures of dominance of perfection, of coercion, yeah. which you described from being indoctrinated into at 12 and learning how to do that with your horses. This is a tricky question here that I have, which I, I think we could ask not only horse owners, but like we could ask anybody who identifies as a woman really looking at capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist patriarchy. My question is, do you think it's ever really possible to be in a consensual relationship with a being that depends on you for food? Like if, if someone depends on you for safety, can you really be in a consensual relationship? And, and this is a dilemma I have with, with horses. And, and I just want to say for listeners who might not know, like my, I am the first generation to not own a horse in my family, which is a deep grief for me, which I hope to rectify <laughs> mm -hmm. someday soon. But that sense of connection to that particular animal for many humans is like an unspeakably strong magnetic draw because we've worked with animals, we've been companions, we've relied on horses for their power and their magic and their companionship and um, so much for so many years. But if we think about systems of dominance, I sometimes wonder if it started when we started riding on the backs of horses, when we started to dominate other large animals. I wonder if that's like a root of capitalism, colonialism. I mean, you can kind of trace the history from there. So it's a tricky question, but what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. And I have many thoughts on it and, and they're not all super clear, right? I've worked with many trainers and, and amazing horse people 
that are essentially asking this question in different ways around the world. And I think, so Elsa Sinclair is probably the closest, I would say. So this is someone, her, her, she's done two documentaries so far. One is called Taming Wild. It's her first one. Definitely have a watch. It's, it's super interesting to watch her process. Essentially what she, she posed the question, this exact question. You know, would a, would a horse consent to be ridden with no tools, no bridle, no, no treats, uh, full space, so 100 acres, uh, and, 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 you know, the ability to leave at any, any time. And it's, it's quite amazing to watch what happens. So she essentially rescues him there straight off the trucks from the BLM. Uh, literally came in the night before she puts her on the trailer the next day, um, takes her home. They, she lives in the San Juan Islands, turns her out on a hundred acres, her rules to herself, no whips, no halter, no saddle, no nothing, no treats. And she cannot put Mirna between her and the fence. She has to be free. So, and then they go on a year long journey together with this. She develops a training methodology of sorts she calls it the slowest horse training in the world which i would say is accurate <laughs> and it's really beautiful i've done it with raven it is really really amazing um mirna does I, i'll spoiler alert everyone she does allow elsa to ride she actually has a baby not elsa but mirna is pregnant <laughs> when she comes off the range she has a baby the last scene is you'll cry, you'll cry. Um, but it, it was really profound to watch because as someone with horses, I can say that not putting like dominance into the picture is, is challenging. Mm -hmm. um, there is, yeah, a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of positive reinforcement training coming out, but it's still food related. There, you know, I try to really sit with this idea of consent with my girls all the time. But yeah, they live on two acres. There's not a lot of places for them to go. If they decide they don't want to do something, <laughs> it's, you know, it's challenging for them to say, ah, like not into it today. We do our very, very best to, I, I do my very best to just, essentially like when I go to halter them it's like hey do you want to put your head in the halter okay when we go to the mounting blocks like I you know I I my dear friend Lockie Phillips of emotional horsemanship I I, I can't get this moment out of my mind so back in May he did a clinic and uh hearing Langley and a friend of mine was in the clinic and she was doing something that's a habit like for us when we've done natural horsemanship and other things. And so she was, she was swinging the rope at her horse to get him to move forward, like on the ground kind of thing. And Lockie goes, don't you dare swing that rope or something <laughs> along those lines. And then he <laughs> says to her, you can do better than that. Mm. And I was like, damn, like it's true. Mm. It's true. If we wait, and we actually get in our bodies and we actually listen to what is being shared from our horses. We can do better than that. Mm. We don't have to drop into a place of force. It's easy. Here's the thing. It's easy. And that sucks because it's such a habit for people and you can force, you can, but it does not mean that you should, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. So what have you found most successful then? You, you, yeah. you talk about like natural horsemanship and emotional horsemanship. What's the yep. difference there? Because I know a lot of us have 
been looking right so you hear these terms yeah. liberty work you you know and, and yeah. my kid and I have done that with Raven and Diva and it has been very profound yeah to just spend time getting into shared rhythm and mirroring totally. and, and the sort of um interspecies relating and interpersonal neurobiology but but help us understand like which modalities you gravitate towards now mm -hmm. and how you work with them now yeah, absolutely. So I want to share for everybody that Carmen is an amazing horse person. I just love watching you with the girls. I really do. There's just this beautiful clarity that I, yeah, I, I really was so moved by. And Thank you. you're welcome. And knowing Raven, she's not you know, she is, she's complex and she is very picky about who she works with. And I just really, yeah, I feel that from her. I was like, she was like, Oh, I like, I like this gal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll follow her around. Absolutely. And I really, I really, um, yeah, I think back to that and like, it really warms my heart. And so coming back to your question, my horsemanship has changed so much over the years. I think because of things like my podcast and the apprenticeship, I've, I've been blessed and privileged to be exposed to a lot of different training styles. And I have a natural curiosity, I guess, going back to my identity piece, always in my identity as learner, I always show up with that, with that hat on. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be better for my girls. And I suppose it's a little like having kids, like I don't have my own kids, but my horses and my animals, like I've got my chihuahua on my lap right now and <laughs> my animals are my kids as Carmen knows. And yeah. um, if, if, you know, that sounds weird, but you know, like that kind of relationship, I love them really deeply um, in, in the ways that I know how. And I suppose that the horsemanship that I am most drawn to now comes back to that love piece because I, what I've really seen over the years is, I mean, when I was a kid, I would have said, oh my God, I'm such a horse lover. I love horses so much. But then I look back, Carmen, and I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't love horses. I mean, I did, but I didn't know how. And that, I think that's a grief for me of like all those horses that I interacted with that I loved quote unquote and I didn't know how to love them mm. and I didn't know how to protect them either you know um or say no for them at that time and so now I I would say the horsemanship that I do is the kind of horsemanship that you know, you would be so bored to watch. <laughs> That's the kind of horsemanship <laughs> that I do. And I do it on purpose. I'm like, mm. I don't need to escalate. I don't need to get mad. I don't need to force things. I don't need to make stuff happen. If the girls want to connect and be a part of things, then that will be, you know, then we'll play in that then we'll show up in that so we play a lot like Raven and I play a lot together um I've been working with the balance through movement method by Celeste Lazarus to support her to build her her strength in her thoracic sling and her shoulders because she as you know has uh, early onset arthritis in her front left uh foot and so uh, the horsemanship that we do is around helping. I want to meet their needs, right? So, okay, your need is to feel comfortable in your body so that you can maybe stick around for a good long while and, and be comfy without medication. What do we need to do to do that for you? Hmm. And so that's the work that we do. And it's slow. It's methodical. It's kind of, yeah, like I say, boring. Uh, we dial it back, you know, um, we go out for a lot of walks. It's really funny because people will constantly comment on why are you walking? Like it, it, it baffles people, Carmen. 
baffles people when you walk your horse, especially if they don't have tack on. Right. They can't, it's so, it's like a cognitive dissonance for them. Right. To not dominate or to not ride, to not be making this horse work. Yeah. Yeah. That you're just going out for a little toodle. <laughs> they're, they're baffled. I had, I had an old guy literally insulted, insulted oh. by it and share that with me. And, and I was in a, a fairly dysregulated state at the time. Not so bad that I couldn't go out, but I cackled. I did. I, I, <laughs> laughed so hard uh after his grumpy old man comment um because I was like wow this is so for so many people it's like you ride a horse right that's what you do Mm -hmm. and everything that you do is to ride a horse right all your training all the things that you work with that's the goal Mm -hmm. and why else would you be doing it right why else would you be in relationship with this being except for them to uh, yep. make you happy <laughs> and, yeah. and help you? Yeah, be be happy. Yeah, we can see the parallels pretty easily when we put <laughs> yeah. it that way, right? It's like, oh, wait, that sounds like patriarchy. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh, no, I've oh, totally no. perpetuated it. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. So, okay. I want to hear more about, well, I want to talk about the whole horse apprenticeship. Um, but also I'm still, I'm still not clear on the difference between natural horsemanship and emotional horsemanship. Let's go into this. So emotional horsemanship is actually like a person. So Lockie Phillips developed this company called emotional horsemanship where he uses all sorts of different type you know types of training sorry Lockie if I'm butchering this but he he brings together some really beautiful pieces from all different places in horsemanship under the understanding that horses are emotional sentient beings and when we can relate to them from that space and also recognizing our own way of being emotional, complex beings relating, you know, to these horses in that way, that it's kind of like the rabbit and the hare, right? Or, or what is it? The tortoise and the hare, mm-hmm. Par- you know, parable. It's like, mm-hmm. who gets there first, right? Mm-hmm. I think with horses, we must always strive to be the tortoise. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Slow slower than you think less Mm -hmm. than you think Mm -hmm. I mean when you go to a locky clinic if he can he'll have hay nets set up all around the arena there'll be water set out the horses get breaks regularly the the participants get a two-hour lunch break I mean it is set up to actually provide for the needs of the participants when you go to most clinics for horses you ride hard for an hour, two hours, your horse stands at the trailer, doesn't get food. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's big differences, right? There's escalation. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of this emotional horsemanship. Now I would say I have a couple of like Elsa Sinclair, like I say, I love the work of Josh Nichol, uh, Nishan Cook. Uh, There's lots of amazing people coming, coming up. This heartens me so much in the horse industry. It's one reason I love the pod, my podcast, the whole horse podcast, because I get to talk to everybody and it's like an excuse to be like, can we yeah. just chat? About, <laughs> Will you be my friend? Yeah. Will you be my friend? Because I, I like what you're doing. Um, natural horsemanship is sort of a broad term, an umbrella term for, for a lot of different horsemanship styles that came in. At the time it was, revolutionary as we say this was maybe like 10 to 15 years ago we had Pirelli we had different things coming in um when we examine them now (laughs) we see a a sort of a different a pretty different story from this view of dominance patriarchy Mm -hmm. 
all these pieces. Like still dominance, but just under the, uh, uh, it's been sort of softened. It's been, it's been given a, a bit of a glow up. It's been given a glow up. <laughs> but here's the thing, Carmen, is most horsemanship at that time and still now is based on a debunked theory, which is that dominance is even a thing with horses. It is not a thing with horses. Horses are like humans. Horses are community-minded, socially-natured creature who strives for connection, co-regulation. They want to be in a good space with you. They want to be in a harmonious place with you. Dominance theory came out of some freaking studies that someone did where you know, I don't even know if it was with horses, but like essentially that they were resource guarding, they didn't have enough food or water. It happens, right? Where horses will go into dominance when they need to survive, Mm -hmm. when their basic needs are not met. Yes, you will see dominance behavior. But all of these training methodologies were based off of something that is false. Right. As a motivator. Threat and pressure exactly mm-hmm. so it works but it's not going to provide you connection so here mm-hmm. was natural horsemanship coming in saying if we work with dominance theory in these ways to be like horses mm-hmm. you will get the respect and you know leadership of your horse you must have leadership you need to be the 51 percent, so to speak I see okay don't let okay. the you know it's the give an inch take them they'll take mm-hmm. a mile understanding right, right? right. and yeah. okay so, so it was about like asserting your presence and trying to it's sort of like a form of almost like uh in humans like nlp neuro-linguistic programming i'm mirroring you so that i can entrain you and then i will dominate you by guiding what i want you to do is that am i getting that right yes yeah yeah and then and then the and then you know a lot of the natural horsemanship it would have phases so if you do it when i ask real light then great you don't nothing else happens excellent if you don't do it then we raise the pressure if you don't do it then we raise the pressure if we don't Mm -hmm. do it then I'm hitting you if we don't do it then right so it's just phased pressure and we're just trying to attune to like where's this horse at and then apply the appropriate amount of pressure to get the job done Oh, it's still, yeah. oh, we don't like that. Ew. No, we Sorry, want something everybody. that's more co-regulatory. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So hence retraining people. No, you don't have to lift the rope. You can actually just wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can actually just wait and watch and see what happens and receive totally. the no. If it's a and no, receive just receive the no. The no. If yeah. it's a no and be graceful mm-hmm. about it. That's yeah, don't be pissy about it. Don't be (laughs) pissy about it, right? And yeah, can we can we be with that? And what does that look like? Um, and what does that feel like? Is this what the whole horse apprenticeship then is trying to do? Like give us a bit of an overview of what your program entails. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so this is a six-month, I call it an immersion or you know, uh, there's, there's different ways to think about it, but essentially when I created it, I had, I had created a body of work that seemed to be wanting to share itself all in kind of one place Hmm. at that time. I also, you know, like I said, liked, uh, being able to bring people in. I love to collaborate. So hence, you know, I've asked Carmen to be an instructor, this, I guess, instructor this year and share some of her work um yeah there's there's her four other me. yeah <laughs> this Carmen this Carmen I'm this super excited Carmen. about it I know yeah. and I I really felt at the time like there was this gap in terms of just basic not not even basic but the next level of horse care so yeah we know how to groom a horse and pick their feet maybe and do all these things but okay what about adding a course in body work? What about adding 
some techniques you can work with with cranial therapy, someone who works with acupressure and meridian lines, some, all these different types of training that you can then go, oh, that feels good to me. I, I, I have always been one of those people. It's like, I want to pick, I'm not, I'm not dogmatic. It's like, I want to be able to pick and choose what feels good for me what feels good for my horses. I've, I've really realized with my two girls, what works for both of them is very different. Mm-hmm. They're the way that we train and work together, extremely different. Mm-hmm. And that goes for every horse and every person and every person horse pair is mm-hmm. gonna, you know, when I watch you and Raven, it's different from mm-hmm. how we navigate the world together Mm. it's Mm -hmm. one of the things that makes it so beautiful to be with horses is Mm -hmm. those the uniqueness of the connections and what is reflected and brought to the table in every one of those moments together Mm -hmm. I think something that keeps me so in love is that there's this constant growth edge and that constant there it feels like this ask of how can you show up more in yourself in your trueness in in the fullness of your being and that's a beautiful beautiful thing and so in this course this program I try to bring those pieces together it's often reflective of where I am in that time and what has supported and served me you know so the people that I ask in are often pieces of my puzzle that I want to offer up and share with others that are on a similar journey that are going how do I navigate this super weird world and start to not even start but maybe I'm entering as an equine body worker or as a equine facilitated learner and or you know equine facilitated therapist and I want to be able to become even more nuanced in that care and more, uh, you know, add more understanding and complexity to, Mm -hmm. to reflect this being in front of me that is complex in their needs, Mm -hmm. much more complex than I think we've given them credit for. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there'll be a ton of information for folks to learn more about, um, the whole horse apprenticeship. And of course we'll link to the whole horse podcast. I I would like to ask you about grief and rage. And you started off by sharing, there's a lot of grief you still have about um, mistakes you made when you didn't know better. Uh, And so how are you working with grief and also the anger of needing to adapt, you know, um, because of your illness now that you can't be as physically active like how are you carrying this grief and this rage what are you doing for that yeah it's an amazing question this is another one that kept me up last night it's like oh boy chewing on this one (laughs) I mean I think like all of us I I shouldn't say that but for me you know, Friday, I found myself sitting in front of a thrift store in Ladysmith, sobbing in my car, mm-hmm. uh, because we don't know when grief is going to arrive. And at the time, I had planned a trip up island, and I recognize I was starting to recognize that morning that that was not going to be possible for my body that day. And my brain, my mind and my heart were like, I want to go. Um, and I couldn't. And so I, yeah, sat in my car and had a good cry. And, and as I was doing that, you know, uh, came to the realization I'd been looking on Facebook that uh, one of my horse clients had passed the day before and then I had another good cry and then realized you know of course with all of this that 
everything else is going on in the world with the fires and 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 there's just so much um and then a client messaged me phoned me while this was all happening um as well and requested a session um because for various reasons her body was struggling um, and uh so I, I sat and let the tears come and then I went in the thrift store <laughs> got myself some terrible books I tell you some Nora Roberts it was bad <laughs> I'm sorry everybody um but it was a chance to kind of look around and reorient hmm. to some humans and <laughs> to some you know thrift store shoe racks and various things I found like you know I have a piece when I when I'm in those kind of spaces like surrounded by things that people have loved and um yeah and I I ended up going home um and I did the session for this woman because she was also grieving and I said to her look you gotta know this is where I'm at you, you gotta if you're okay with that we'll do it because I I find for me sometimes in those moments being able I, I know it's weird but being able to give um and just be together with someone who is going through something she lost an elder um and is supporting her husband through that grief and so after that it, it really like I was like okay okay here I am I find osteopathy is the work that I do mainly right now and when I show up in that space and that identity it settles me in this really beautiful way um and my body just finds this space to be in that uh, is really lovely for me. Um, and I feel, I think there's some part of me that just to give that little sense of I'm still helping, I'm still productive. I'm still here <laughs> mm -hmm. doing my little thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps. It helps because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people have asked me, like, why are you, why are you working? Why are you offering the apprenticeship? Why, you know, because for me, that's something important to how mm -hmm. I'm showing up. It's something I can do. It's possible for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. And mm -hmm. it gives me a sense of I'm still here. I'm mm -hmm. still helping. Mm -hmm. And that yeah just feels what's like what's real for me what's right for me in this moment it sounds very you know? stabilizing and <laughs> yeah. I, I want that for you for as long as it's available to you and your clients are very lucky and so are all the people who are going to be in the whole horse apprenticeship this year and thank you so much for being here on this show and I oh, really look welcome. forward to showing up in the apprenticeship. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks so much, Alexa. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Oh, you're so welcome, Carmen. I can't wait to see you there. Yeah. Thank you again. For more information about the Whole Horse Apprenticeship, which begins this September 2023 and runs for six months, and to link to the Whole Horse podcast and Alexa's website, head to our show notes in your podcast player or at numinouspodcast.com. I will be teaching a module in the Whole Horse Apprenticeship in January. Um, I'll be teaching about contact nutrition, so attachment theory with polyvagal theory combined with somatics, and it applies to all mammals, humans, horses, all mammals. I'm reminded in this episode of one of my favorite photos of me ever, which, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who has a lot of favorite photos of myself. Um, had to really learn how to be with the camera over time. Um, 
Anyway, it was this photo shoot we did for my book, The Spirited Kitchen, at Alexa's place with the horses. And I was wearing my favorite Scottish outfit, like a literal wool sweater and wool culottes that I bought from a Scottish retailer <laughs> and shipped over here because I love it so much. And in this photo shoot, Raven came in and sort of hugged me, like nuzzled her face up against my torso. And her head is like as long as my body. And it was a really super tender moment and very intimate in a way. But also, I feel like she also kind of wanted a nice portrait of herself. Like I, I kind of think she was posing for the camera and that we both just kind of liked being perceived as elegant and maybe a little charismatic. So um, it felt like a real moment of resonance with us. It's a very sweet photo. Anyway, you'll find all the links in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. Something we didn't talk about in the interview that I want to mention is that Alexa has written a book called Death Sucks, A Straight-Up Guide to Navigating Your Pet's Final Transition. And you know I've said it on the podcast so many times, but reviews mean so much to an author because they help boost the SEO of the book. And so it helps connect the book with its perfect audience. And as soon as you've read Alexa's book, you should go to Amazon and write a review, even though we hate Amazon. We do it anyway for the author whose work we love. I'm personally deeply grateful to Catherine, who wrote a review of my book, The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and Rituals for the Wheel of the Year on Amazon. So this is my listener shout out to Catherine, who writes... I love, love, love this book and have already gifted it to several friends. As a white person with Scottish, Irish, English, Polish, and Sicilian ancestry, I'm always looking for resources that decidedly step out of the far too common realm of appropriating traditions from historically oppressed people and that help me reconnect with my European lineages. Carmen's book does precisely that. And as someone who works hard for collective change, I hold a commitment of weaving more deliciousness into my life through her beautifully written and presented guidance for aligning my life with the wheel of the year. Carmen's book helps me to do that too. Thank you, Catherine. And my friends, this is the moment. If you've been meaning to write a review for The Spirited Kitchen, but you've been wanting to like express yourself really precisely and beautifully about what it is and how it makes you feel. And I know there's a lot of you in that position because people tell me all the time, oh, I'm going to write a review. I just need to find like a quiet moment where I can like think and express myself beautifully. I'm going to ask you to lay down those hopes and dreams and expectations and any perfectionism now because... Done is better than perfect, and time is of the essence. So your review of my book is so valuable right now, as we are just ahead of the fall retail season. The last months of the year are the biggest, most important months for book retail, and it takes time for the algorithm to make a pattern out of what you've written. So please don't let a desire for eloquence be a barrier to writing a review. You could literally just give it five stars and say, it's excellent, so much more than a cookbook, and then leave it at that. And then the ghost in the Amazon machine is just going to do the rest. And that will make a huge, huge difference in terms of who can find my book and how much it sells in the coming holiday season. Okay, in case you missed it last week, the big announcement uh, it's about the Numinous Network. Free week is happening this year from September 17th to 23rd. The network opened in May 2020, and we've supported nearly 800 people since then with our events, classes, and courses. And the calendar is built around somatics classes three times a week. So these somatics classes are like a vagus nerve workout. They help to calm and soothe the nervous system with gentle therapeutic movements. So it's like exercise, but no cardio, no strength training, no sweating, no resistance training, no high intensity at all. It's all low intensity where less is more, slower is better. I mean, if you liked this episode all about like non-coercion, 
that is 100% what we're doing with humans in the Numinous Network Somatics classes. We're just always remembering that even if you choose to stop a practice, you are still doing the practice because the main goal is to establish trust and secure attachment with yourself. So every time you pause or every time you stop, your body thanks you and we celebrate you for not pushing through signs of distress or discomfort or even just disinterest. That's like our main practice is that we are uncoupling our nervous system from the pressures of capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist patriarchy. Anyway, okay, so foundational to the calendar are these drop-in somatic sessions, which include therapeutic tremoring sometimes. And then around those three main days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we also have monthly gatherings, a ton of them. This is why we end up with like over 40 live events in the network every month. Some of them are recorded, some of them aren't. Um, ones that are not recorded, it's because we're doing like pretty intimate, pretty personal work. So for instance, we have peer supervision, usually twice a month. So that's for other therapeutic practitioners um, who are also doing their work in a way that is uncoupling from capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist, patriarchy. And we get together for mutual self-help and witnessing, resource sharing, etc. We do this, a similar kind of thing for the small business chat. So any entrepreneur, whether you are in the ideation phase or you know the growth phase, any small business owner is, uh, I shouldn't say small, any entrepreneur is welcome to come to that. Um, we also have our monthly perimenogam, jam, meaning it's for people who are perimenopausal or menopausal. Um, we also do an attachment jam. Lately, we've had um, lots of parents of teenagers coming to the attachment jam, so we can just like share information and commiseration about what we're doing with our um, kids who have uh, diagnoses, mental health challenges, living in late stage capitalism. We also have a polyvagal meditation class. So if you've tried meditation before and you're just like, I don't know, this feels like a lot of, you know, having to overpower myself or whatever, we teach it in a polyvagal informed way. We also have once or twice a month, usually twice, a gathering for folks who have sensitive nervous systems or who are experiencing long COVID. So if you have any kind of disability, um, or if you are a caregiver of someone who has chronic illness, um, if you have long COVID, you don't have to have doctor's notes for this. You just like show up and we are there to validate you, validate you, validate you. So many of the um, causes or like the roots underlying the mental health challenges that accompany medical challenges is invalidating environments. So we create a validating environment. And then we also have spaces for grief. So we um, have a monthly contemplative grief practice. Uh, we do almost every month a grief vigil. And this space, the Numinous Network, is also where my book, The Spirited Kitchen, comes alive. So we have seasonal celebrations for the Wheel of the Year. We'll, you're going to find that we use many of the book's concepts as jumping off points. So we go beyond the pages to direct personal experiences of spiritual connection to the earth and to the more than human. And during free week, you'll be able to peek into the archive and watch the classes we've done already on like ancestral veneration, astral magic, connecting with plants, and so much more. So how do you get to try the Numinous Network for one week for free? You sign up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com. On September 17th, I'll email you the link to join. So just it, it's hosted on Mighty Network, so some things you need to know. You will need a credit card to join the space. And if you don't cancel at least 24 hours before the end of the trial period, you will be charged for the next month. So you get seven days free from the day you sign up. You can sign up to get those seven free days anytime between September 17th and 23rd. But if you don't cancel by day six, you're going to be charged. And that's not me. That's just how Mighty Networks works. It just takes 24 hours for them to, um, you know, populate the system or whatever they say. And just so you know, it's totally fine to just try it for a week and then cancel because maybe it just doesn't interest you after all. Maybe it's too intense for you. Maybe um, your schedule is just tight at that time of year. 
I just want you to know you will not experience high pressure sales tactics to stay. In fact, many, many, many of our nearly 800 members in the past two years have come and gone several times according to their availability. A huge percentage of people will sign back in um, in December because we like to celebrate the month of Yuletide and do like preparations and festivities together. It's like a really big deal in the network to focus on like those special 13 days of altar work and micro rituals that starts on the solstice. Though I will say, although people do come and go, a large percentage of people who sign up for free week stay for the fall and winter season. In fact, right now, 40% of our membership in the network has been with us for over a year, most of them since they signed up for a free week. And 24% of our members have been with us for 18 months or more. And 14% have been here for two years, most having initially joined during a free week trial period. So that's really big. Like that, that validates what we hear anecdotally and in emails that a large percentage of our members say that the network has been a critical part of their recovery. And sometimes that recovery has been from a physical setback like COVID or an injury or an illness that, you know, can really evade treatment like something like fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's, um, mast cell activation syndrome, um, myalgic encephalomyelitis, right? Um, so that's ME, CFS, so chronic fatigue syndrome, um, POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or PCOS, um, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. All of these folks who come to somatic sessions with my colleagues, Brita McKibben and Danielle Smith or myself, they say they've developed so much more emotional capacity, so much more nervous system resilience, become so much more skillful at self-regulation. So if that is you, you are exactly who I'm speaking to. Even if you can't physically do the exercises, we don't demand that you do. Come to Free Week, show up from your bed with your camera off. It's totally fine, totally welcome. Come to the classes just to absorb the contact nutrition and see how that feels in your body because we want ease for you and relief for you. We want that softening into a space of total non-judgment and total welcome and deep understanding. We genuinely want that for you. So sign up for my newsletter and save some time for us during the week of September 17th to 23rd. And you can come and check out our guides and our offerings. Sign up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.